Welcome to another episode of Vital Moments in Naturopathic Medicine. I'm Beth Hendry Yim, and my co-host is Dr. John Yim, naturopathic doctor and partner for almost 38 years. Wow, that's hard to believe. (laughs) It is. Now, as always, we are very excited to be sharing information you can use to improve your health and life. Now, from the beginning of our life together, we have been on a quest for the best and latest information in nutritional science and natural medicine. But it is one thing to acquire this knowledge and the books. It's a whole lot better to share it. Yeah, I agree, Beth. You know, over the years, I've been working with people one-on-one in the office. But one of my pleasures always has been to teach in large groups. And so our public talks, you know, was a venue for that. So with COVID, you know, I can't do that anymore. So podcasts are a fantastic way of getting information out to many people at one time. Now, right now we're sitting in my office, the sun streaming in one of the windows, the dogs are at our feet, and we've got a great day ahead of us working in the garden and at the office. I might even get some training in with the puppy. When John first opened the doors of his practice in our home in Nanaimo on Juniper Street, he rarely saw cases involving autoimmunity. Allergies, yeah. Cancer, definitely. Sports injuries, lots, as he was a massage therapist before he went to medical school. So, John, how often did you see patients with autoimmunity? Yeah, I agree with you, Beth. It wasn't very often. Mm -mm. Yeah, lots of allergies, very few autoimmune conditions. But over the past number of years, and keep in mind, I've been in practice for over 28 years. Mm -hmm. So in the past number of years, lots of autoimmune cases, everything from rheumatoid arthritis, colitis, uh, psoriasis, yeah, Sjogren's. So definitely seeing more and more of these autoimmune cases. Why do you think that is? I I really believe that, you know, um, multifaceted, but one of the main things I believe is that uh, our environment's getting more toxic mm. and our bodies and our immune systems are being assaulted today more than ever in the past. So maybe we should take a step back. What is autoimmunity? Or what is autoimmune disease? Okay, so in the past, we've talked about allergies and how the immune system starts developing antibodies against things in the environment, such as food. Uh, but, you know, the immune system can become allergic to you know medication and uh, environmental things like dust and pollens. Autoimmunity is another step down that spectrum of the immune system becoming more hyper and um, confusing self from non-self. So we know that the immune system is designed to protect us from, you know, germs that we might encounter in the environment and uh, also recognizing cells in the body that have become cancerous and and destroying them before they can form a tumor. But with autoimmunity, the immune system has become so confused that it's actually attacking tissues of the body instead of defending against germs and other things. Wow. It's scary. Yeah, that does sound scary. So what kind of things have you seen? Like what kind of conditions result from that? Well, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, we're seeing things like rheumatoid arthritis, colitis. So what happens with rheumatoid arthritis? So, you know, the most common form of arthritis is osteoarthritis. And that's, you know, low-grade inflammation causing wear and tear over the years. But with rheumatoid arthritis... 
this can happen even to children. You know, there's there's such a thing as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So this form of arthritis can, can affect people at any age. And with this condition, the immune system is, is attacking the cartilage of the body and creating uh, massive amounts of inflammation in the joints. So it's it's not just wear and tear. It's um, the immune system... Actually damaging. Actually damaging. Wow. Yes. And, you know, I've worked with young people that uh, unfortunately we saw too late. And these are people in their 20s that have had hip replacements because of rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. That's, so, that's you know, concerning. It, it's concerning. But, you know, the joints, that's just one part of the body. Autoimmunity can attack any tissue of the body. So we can have the immune system going after the gut. And that results in inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's and colitis. Um, I mentioned the joints already that can attack the skin and lead to things like psoriasis. Uh, some people believe that uh, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition. You know, the blood platelets can be affected by the immune system. Even even the skin, when we see not just psoriasis, but, um, um, you know, where the, the immune system is, is attacking the... Um, the melanocytes in the cell, so vitiligo, um, that, that's an autoimmune condition. What is that? So if you see in the summer walking the beach and, you know, people have their shirts off and you see patches of white, so their skin is tanned, but these large patches of white skin, um, it's more than likely vitiligo where um, the immune system has attacked the melanocytes. Those are the cells that produce melanin, and that's what causes it to tan you know, when we're in the sun. So when the melanocytes are destroyed, in those areas um, where they are destroyed, you're not producing any pigment. So those areas don't tan, and that's why they look white. Mm. Yeah, and immune system can attack the follicles of the hair. You know, there's uh, autoimmune alopecia, and people are losing patches of hair. So not just, you know, hair falling out evenly, as um, it naturally does, but people can lose actually patches of hair. And um, and eventually, all the hair in their body can fall off. Head, eyebrows, um, body hair. Eventually, you know, um, there are conditions where, or people where the alopecia, all their body hair is gone. Get, let's get back to the causes. Um, can you elaborate more on, on what you see as being the cause, the progression of autoimmunity? Sure. This is why... Autoimmune conditions are so poorly treated by Western medicine. Western medicine goes after the symptoms. So if you have, you know, autoimmune condition, um, we take care of the inflammation with prednisone. Uh, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, we might throw in some methotrexate. And if we can't control it with those kind of anti-inflammatory and lower level immune blockers, then they'll use um, stronger immune suppressants, you know, things like uh, biologics that like Humira and drugs in that class that suppress the immune system. But again, you're not dealing with the cause. And the reason that autoimmune conditions are so difficult to treat is that there could be multiple causes. So one of the smallest factors is genetics. So it's true that if you have family members that have autoimmunity, there's a greater risk of children having autoimmune conditions. But some of the larger contributors, I mentioned toxicity. Our environment is getting so um, 
I don't know, toxic with man-made chemicals that disrupt the immune system. And we're absorbing them every single day. And, you know, children, even when they're in utero, in the mom's um, uterus forming, if there are toxins in the mom's body, they're going through the placenta into the developing baby. So their immune systems are being affected even at that very young age. I remember a National Geographic article coming out years ago about how they found toxins in everywhere, everywhere, in babies, in utero. It was a big article, and then we didn't hear any more about it. Yeah, it's, it was actually quite terrifying because the one article that I read, they were looking at um, first a number of individuals that weren't even working in jobs where they were exposed to uh, many toxins. You know, just average people, journalists, teachers, you know, professionals. So they weren't in industry where exactly. they were handling it. Exactly. Okay. And so blood was drawn and sent to a lab. And this was an American um, journal, National Geographic. But the lab they used was actually in Victoria, British Columbia. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so they analyzed these blood samples for man-made toxins. And every single person in the study had a minimum of 100 or more man-made chemicals in their system. Everything from chemicals that were potentially carcinogenic to chemicals that could disrupt the immune system, to um, chemicals that were uh, endocrine disruptors. Yeah. So it was scary. And then I, I wasn't sure if it was this article or another article, but they, there was a, a study done in Europe, and they were testing umbilical blood of brand new babies. And every single child that was tested already had many man-made chemicals that came from the mother through the placenta. So... I think later we need to talk about how we can make sure those are minimized, <laughs> yes, right? that's right, yeah. <laughs> so these toxins, when they get into the body, uh, as I mentioned, many of them are uh, can disrupt the immune system. So um, in some people, they can weaken the immune system, and that's one of the reasons why we're seeing more cancer today. And in other people, it can make the immune system become more hyper. And that's why we're seeing more allergies and autoimmunity. So I feel that toxicity is a huge component, probably the biggest. And then the second biggest component is a topic that I am so uh, enthralled with, and that's the gut, right? We've talked about this concept of leaky gut. Well, there are many, 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 many toxins that are in the gut. You know, toxins that are created from the breakdown of our food, toxins that may be in the food itself, Toxins are being produced by the bacteria and the yeast that are in our gut. So our, our guts are loaded with toxins. And it, anything that creates this leaky gut condition, and we're talking about the small intestine here, toxins can escape the gut and flood into the bloodstream. And once those toxins are in the blood, again, they can disrupt the immune system. And this is another reason why we're seeing more people with, with fatty liver. Lots of patients are being diagnosed with fatty liver. And this is not an autoimmune condition, but this is a condition where um, liver cells are being replaced by fat cells because the liver is being irritated by toxins and uh, things like high fructose corn syrup. So I have seen people with elevated liver enzymes, and this is a sign of liver damage going on. These patients, many of them are not on recreational drugs. They're not drinkers. 
they're not on prescription medication, and your li their liver enzymes are elevated. And where that damage is coming from is their gut. The toxins streaming out of the gut into the blood, the blood from the gut goes directly to the liver first. So that if you're full of toxins and they're leaking into the blood, your liver is being hammered every single day. So uh, uh, besides that, another factor that all of us are experiencing these days is stress. Stress has the effect of, of disrupting the immune system. Stress also has the effect of causing leaky gut. So you're getting a double whammy with stress. And then food sensitivities or food allergies. And again, where those uh, affect the immune system is either by contributing to leaky gut or stimulating the immune system. So every time you eat an allergic food, if there are antibodies in the blood, every time you eat those foods, you're triggering the immune system to react. So you're, you're stressing the immune system by eating foods that your body's allergic or sensitive to. And then finally, um, infections. Low-grade infections, uh, e either in the gut, which can lead to leaky gut and contribute to autoimmunity, or the infections cause the immune system constantly having to be on red alert. And so over time, the immune system becomes more and more hyper. So wait a second, infections. Does a person necessarily know they have an infection? No, that's the thing. If you have an acute bacterial infection, right? There's there's oftentimes, you know, fever and, you know, um, all the symptoms of inflammation, you know, redness, heat, uh, probably pain. Um, so there are indications when you have an acute bacterial infection or if you have a viral respiratory infection, lots of symptoms. But we're talking about low-grade infections where there are higher levels than normal of unfriendly organisms, but not high enough to trigger the immune system to uh, cause an acute infection. So because it's low level, the patient doesn't even know what's going on, but it's constantly irritating the immune system. And we're talking about everything from stealth viruses to candida yeast in the gut, you know, to, to uh, bacterial infections in the teeth or in the gut. So these, these infections, like I say, they're there, but they're below the level of perception. So the patient doesn't even know what's going on. You know, it's interesting you say that about teeth, because a friend of mine, um, she had a low-grade infection in her teeth, and it was like encapsulated underneath her tooth. And it wasn't until she went into the dentist and he said, we need to do a crown, they took x-rays and they found this pocket of infection and it was actually affecting that side of her face. Wow. Yeah. It's scary. You know, the teeth, um, for a lot of people, they don't realize what a source of infection the mouth can be. And I have to give, honey, I'm never kissing you again. <laughs> I know. Not unless we gargle with bleach, right? <laughs> yeah. We are not recommending that. <laughs> Years ago, I had, um, an abscess in my lower gums. And I went to a dentist and he said, um, let's do an x-ray. And he saw that um, this molar had been infected. And he said, well, I think what we need to do is a root canal, which means, you know, drill out that root, that um, nerve root and uh, take away the decay and then, and then cap it. And at the time, you know, is before I went to naturopathic school, but I was, 
kind of leery about root canals. So I, I went to Victoria to see a biological dentist, and they're kind of like a, a naturopathic dentist. And when he did the x-ray himself, he saw that infection had already spread into the jawbone. So from the well, tooth... that's a little concerning. Exactly. So... The the first dentist hadn't see, hadn't seen that, or if he'd seen it, he didn't he didn't um, feel like addressing it, and so the the biological dentist said, if you had done a root canal without addressing the decay that had already spread into your jaw, then that infection could have spread, and and the jawbone around it could have disintegrated over time. Mm. So instead of doing root canal, you know, he pulled the tooth rather than saving it and excavated, you know, the decay that had been into the bone, you know, used ozone to disinfect the area. And didn't, wasn't he the one that <clears throat> had those big hoods that could oh, uh, yeah. suck up any yeah. mercury vapor? That's right. These biological dentists, you know, if they're removing mercury from your mouth, they're not only um, using a vacuum to suck up, you know, saliva, but they're actually using vacuums to remove the vapor the mercury vapor that's being released as those high-speed drills are drilling out the mercury. You know, lots of mercury is being released, you know, when those those fillings are being uh, drilled out. Now, is that one of the toxins that could be, you know, piling up in your system? And- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, when we do hair analysis and, and urine, urine toxic metal testing, it's staggering how many people have heavy metals and mercury being one of them, right? So, you know, I, I even had a patient that did not have one mercury filling in their mouth and yet was loaded with mercury. So Beth, where do you think that mercury could have come from? Those thermometers that we <laughs> no, used to play no. with when she, we were no, younger? No. She's not <laughs> sucking on thermometers, no. She was um, she was very into fitness and health and she found out that tuna was a very lean protein. And so mm. every lunch she would eat a can of tuna and she'd been doing this for years. And we know now that fish, especially fish higher in the food chain are loaded with mercury. And don't they say that for pregnant women, they, they're now saying only one tin of tuna a month. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's not now, Beth, it was when we were having children. That's right too. So how so that was 30 years ago, 30 years? they were saying that world health organization mm-hmm. at that time was recommending that uh, women, that were pregnant and women that were nursing not have fish um, more than once a month. Tuna. It was tuna. I yeah. Think. It was specifically yeah. tuna. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah. You know, heavy metals are definitely a source of, of toxins that can be disruptive to the immune system. So you were talking about infections. Is there any other um, cause that, that you look at when a patient comes in presents with autoimmunity? I've got four Four causes, toxins, gut, stress, infections. And uh, you didn't mention food sensitivities. That was one of them oh, okay. as well, so that's five. I'm just, I'm putting this down so I can put it in the, the notes Footnotes, that come yeah. along. Yeah, yeah, those are the big ones. So when you, when you have a patient come in and they're presenting these symptoms, well, first of all, what symptoms can they present with? All kinds. So if it's the gut... Well, what makes you think it could be autoimmunity when they come in and talk to you? Many of my patients that come with autoimmunity come in pre-diagnosed. They have already been told by their doctor they have this condition, that condition. If they have not been diagnosed yet, um, 
it may be, for example, I see a lot of women with thyroid problems. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they have thyroid issues, oftentimes I'll, um, it, they'll have done thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, but usually if the thyroid stimulating hormone is normal, they will not have had the actual hormones tested. So that's the, T3, the TSH. T, yeah. Okay. So the T3 and T4 are the actual hormones. If I suspect they have an autoimmune condition that's affecting the thyroid, how I might suspect that is if they tell me that there's some family history of allergies or, or autoimmunity, right? Or their, their, um, thyroid has, has always been a normal. And then initially they were having some symptoms that looked like hyperthyroid. So weight loss, feeling flushed, diarrhea, agitation, anxiety, racing heart. And then after that, they flipped over to symptoms of hypothyroidism. Now I'm thinking Hashimoto's or autoimmune thyroiditis. So then we do blood testing for antibodies against the thyroid. And that will confirm whether it's an autoimmune condition going on. If they come in with joint issues and they're presenting with pain in multiple joints, the joints are red and hot and swollen. Again, I'm not thinking osteo, osteoarthritis, there's stiffness and pain, but not very often is there um, a lot of redness and heat coming off of those joints. So if people are reporting that their joints are hot and I look at them and they're actually red and I can feel heat, then I'm suggesting testing for, you know, rheumatoid factors um, and, uh, you know, autoimmune uh, factors in the blood to rule out rheumatoid arthritis. This patient comes in with dry mouth, you know, dry eyes. I'm thinking Sjogren's, which is an autoimmune condition. Um, so it really depends on what those symptoms are that uh, make me suspect. And then if they have not been tested for autoimmune, I'll suggest that they, um, you know, get tested and rule that out. Because, for example, with the joints, how I treat rheumatoid arthritis is going to be quite different from how I treat osteoarthritis. Because with rheumatoid, I'm going to have to address the immune system. I'm going to have to work on calming the immune system down. Okay, so what I want to get clear is the steps that you take. Okay, there's there you see the patient initially. Um, you get a complete case history. I mean, it's 45 minutes long with you. So you really get a, an idea of what the patient is dealing with. Um, what they're willing and able to do. And then you do some testing, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And from there, you create a program that is very individual for that person. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And so what are what are the steps after that? So, you know, when we talk about testing, I always want to know what the patient has had done by their either family doctor or their specialist already. And some of the tests that I may recommend are going to be completely different. So, for example, with low-grade infections and the gut, you know, if, if I suspect that there's um, a gut infection, there are um, GI tests, stool tests that we can do that use PCR as well as microscopy to look for evidence of uh, unfriendly bacteria, uh, parasites, worms, you know, fungal infections going on in the gut. If I'm concerned about toxicity, they tell me that they're a welder. I'm doing a urine test for heavy metals to make sure that 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 um, you know their body's not loaded with heavy metals that are affecting their their immune system. If they tell me that eating certain foods, you know, um, later that day they're bloated, they have diarrhea. I'm suspecting food sensitivities or food allergies, 
and I'll be doing food allergy testing or food sensitivity testing to rule that out. So um, all these tests will help give me an idea of what we need to focus on to take a load off the body. When you are looking at this patient, you're talking about all these different tests. I want people to understand and, and really grasp the idea of what you do. And that is you look at the whole person. And I think that we really need to push that home because I've been to a specialist's office. They totally zoom in on one thing. Whereas what you're saying is you're looking at the whole person. And I think that is key. That is really key. And we need to make sure people understand that. Mm -hmm. So the first R is remove. So we want to identify things that are either irritating the immune system or irritating the gut or what we call obstacles to cure. So things that are, that are getting in the way of the patient getting well. And some of these things might be poor diet. They might be alcohol. They might be, you know, overconsumption of coffee. It may be, you know, lifestyle things that are obstacles to them getting well. The second is repair. So if there's a leaky gut going on, we want to repair that. And eventually we're going to be repairing the immune system, which means to regulate and balance the immune system so it's not so hyper. Third R is replace. And this could be such as replacing digestive enzymes. In some of my older patients, if they're not producing enough digestive enzymes and they're not breaking their food down efficiently, there may be more larger proteins that could be uh, absorbed across that leaky gut. And these large proteins can trigger the immune system. So the better a person is digesting the food and the fewer of these large proteins that have the potential of, of getting through the gut to trigger the immune system, the better. The fourth R is repopulate. In our society, there are so many things that people do on a daily basis that can then wipe out their friendly bacteria. And there are very few sources of friendly bacteria unless you're eating fermented foods, taking probiotics. So we want to repopulate the gut with the friendly bacteria. And, and even therapies that we do to bring down the levels of unfriendly organisms in the gut. So things that we take, either natural or prescription, can have an effect on the friendly bacteria. So we need to repopulate the gut after we've done those kind of treatments. And then the last R is rebalance. I mentioned that stress can be a huge factor in, in uh, setting off autoimmunity. So rebalance means bringing balance back into, the, into a patient's life using things like uh, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, exercise, counseling, therapy, EMDR. So all these different therapies can help rebalance. And then, of course, I mentioned in earlier about repair of the immune system. Rebalance also means bringing balance to the immune system, right? We don't want the immune system to be hyper. We want it to be balanced so it recognizes germs and does a good job defending us, but it's not hyper and uh, creating uh, things like allergies and autoimmunity. So those are the now, five R's. Now, you don't, this isn't step by step. This isn't first, second, third, fourth, fifth. This is your... No, no that's right. Um, you know, definitely there are things that are number one, definitely, and that's the remove. Right? We can't we can't have success in any of those other areas without removing what's, what's irritating the immune system and the gut first. That that's a definite. But the other things. So, for example, um, I might be talking to a patient about in, introducing things to rebalance and lower their stress, even on that first visit. You know, if I feel that stress 
is a huge factor in this person's unwellness, then even from that first visit, I'm going to give them recommendations on what kind of things that they can do lifestyle-wise to bring balance back in their life. So yeah, these can overlap. And it's not, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. You know, they can overlap Mm -hmm. and they can be introduced anytime in the program. So after they, you know, they've done the testing, you've um, um, worked through the five R's. Do people usually feel better after that? Or is there more that they need to be doing? Definitely. I mean, Uh, it sounds like the rebalance is kind of an ongoing thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of these things are going to be ongoing. Um, For example, when we remove, uh, one of the steps is detoxification, right? Uh, We want to get the toxins out of the body. And we're living in a time when we're never going to be free of exposure to toxins, So detoxing on an annual or semi-annual basis is something that I recommend that people do for life. And then, like you said, the rebalance or the repopulate, you know, those are things that people are doing on an ongoing basis. So, you know, it's possible that the repair portion will not be needed because once things are working and people have a maintenance program and they're keeping their body healthy, um, you know, the, the gut lining may not need to be repaired on an ongoing basis if we're, we're minimizing things that were irritating the, the, the gut in the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely maintenance programs that we have people on because, you know, I always tell my patients, um, you cannot expect to go back to what you were doing in the past and expect to stay healthy. Right? What you did in the past got you ill in the first place. So what you do in the future for maintenance has to look quite different from what you were doing in the past. And some of those things are going to be lifelong. Can you give us an example of a, of a case? Yeah, I, I have many cases. I know. How do you determine which one? <laughs> but I'm going to give you a case of a patient uh, with colitis. This person was in his um, mid-20s, so a young man, and coming in, he had constant diarrhea, and the diarrhea could be anywhere from 7 to 14 times a day. The, the stool was liquid. There was no form to it, and it was unpredictable. He could have urgency, and he would have to go to the bathroom within minutes, or he could soil his pants. Now, you can imagine how this would affect somebody's life. Mm. Right? You can never predict when you're going to have an accident. So going out with friends, going out to work, right? going out for a walk, all these things create such anxiety because you never know when you're going to have an accident. So when this patient came in, he was on um, prednisone and um, anti-inflammatory suppositories to manage his symptoms. He'd had a colonoscopy, and it was not bad enough to need surgery, because when people have colitis bad enough, they will actually remove portions of your bowel, and some of these patients end up on a bag. They're they're actually pooping into a bag that holds their stool. So he wasn't to that degree. But the doctor had said, you know, if your condition progresses and worsens more, and I'm thinking, how can it get any worse when you have diarrhea 14 times a day? What he meant was, you know, if, if we're seeing more and more blood and there are more and more lesions that, that develop in the colon, we may have to put you on um, something that blocks your immune system from attacking the lining of the gut. So he wasn't quite there yet, but that was the next step. 
and he did not. He had done his research, and he absolutely did not want to go on this class of medication because he realized that, you know, if you're suppressing your immune system, now you're at risk for bacterial, viral, fungal infections, right? Yeah, we've seen the ads on TV yes. and the list of side effects, it's, potential side effects. It's amazing, right? So when he came to see me, I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to get to the cause of why your immune system went hyper. And our goal is not to suppress the diarrhea. Our goal is to maximize your health and balance your immune system. And he said to me, I have never had a doctor tell me that that's the approach that we should be taking with this condition. It's always been about what can we take to manage the symptoms. So it's, it's a real difference between naturopathic medicine and, yeah, and conventional. Absolutely. He says, you know, it's a breath of fresh air and it gives me hope because I know that if all we're doing is masking the symptoms, then we're not curing the problem. No. So with this patient, you know, we did the testing. We found out what his food sensitivities were. You know, we, we um, stress was a big part of the, of the problem with this fellow. You know, work, family life family dynamics growing up, he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. So um, as an adult, his tolerance to stress was very, very low. So stress that you and I would be able to tolerate no problem, it would send him off the deep end. So he would go into fight and flight, you know, over the slightest disagreement with a co-worker. Um, so lots of things could set him off. One of the main things that we did for the immune system was I said, there are actually products that can calm the immune system down, that will not weaken your immune system. And in the last number of years, I've been using low-dose naltroxone, and the low-dose naltroxone has a very good regulating effect on the immune system. But it's not a standalone therapy. You know, you can't just use the naltroxone and hope that it's going to cure autoimmunity, right? We worked with a diet. We worked with stress. We worked with uh, lifestyle. We worked with gut healing and incorporated the low-dose naltroxone. And within two or three months, so even within the first month of doing the program, his diarrhea completely stopped. And three months later, when he had a repeat colonoscopy, because it had been a year since he'd had it done, his medical doctor said, you do not have any more signs of colitis in your bowel. My gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And well, to the, kudos to this patient. <laughs> he was so dedicated to the program. And that's the thing, you know, that people have to be highly motivated because to make changes to your diet and lifestyle, that takes work. You know, we're creatures of habit. It's, it's easy to keep doing what we've always done. And so for this young man to uh, embrace the program, be patient and be dedicated, you know, um, yeah, kudos to him. And following through on that, you know, your course of treatment, the program that you put out, because it is individualized, that Absolutely. is so important for each patient. And the patients who succeed the best, and like, like you mentioned earlier, you have tons of stories. Um, those are the ones that, you Absolutely. know, they change their life and their family's life. Yeah, one thing my patients always tell me is that, you know, I get more information from you than I've ever got from any other practitioners. And my goal always is to educate my patients, you know, educate them about 
the course of treatment. You know, what's it going to look like to get from where you are to better health? I educate them why we're doing these supplements. I educate them, you know, why um, follow-up is so important. So I educate them why maintenance is important. So when people are clear, crystal clear about why they're doing what they have to do, it's much easier to stay motivated. For the patients that follow through on the program, they get amazing results. Okay, so I think we're out of time. We actually went that's we went way over time. <laughs> but that's that was I didn't want to I'm stop a big you. Yacker and you didn't um you know hook my neck and pull me off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've done sometimes. <laughs> okay, well uh that was great. I'm gonna put a lot of stuff this stuff in the notes, the um accompanying notes with the podcast, so people can go over it and, and just get a recap. Um, we can, you can find this podcast on Spotify, on Apple, on all the, um, your, your favorite podcast formats. So, uh, feel free to share this and stay tuned for next time. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.